we're going to take a look at some various laws that will help in, in um, governing his people as they are preparing to go into the promised land. Um, these are laws that are not only for the time in which they lived, but apply to us today. Um, they're relevant, they were relevant then, and they're relevant today. And we'll talk about how they're relevant today. Now let's pray, and then we'll get into Deuteronomy chapter 22. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this moment in time that you have given to us to come as your people, to sit at your feet, and seek to understand being taught by you, being given understanding by your Spirit, the things that pertain to you. Lord, the things that would sanctify, build up, refine, strengthen each and every one of us. Lord, that would refine us. Lord, as there are moments perhaps that we need to, or things that we need to repent of, Lord, and give to you. Lord, whatever work you have for us this evening, Lord, I pray that we would just surrender to that work. Allow you, the potter, to do as you will with a clay. And so we submit to you and we surrender this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's start out with um, the first four verses here in Deuteronomy chapter 22. Is just be nice. Be nice and don't, don't ignore what you should do, what you know to do. So let's take a look. Verse 1 of chapter 22. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you and you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey or with his garment or with any lost thing of your brother's which he loses and you find. You may not ignore it. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. Don't ignore a need. Help. Even though you don't hear that cry of help, you know there's a cry of help. Don't ignore it. Help out. So who's your brother? Um, well, your brother is, as being referred to here, is, is your fellow Israelite. And that's who he was speaking about. So the question is, do I help out just if it's livestock? <laughs> because oxen, or talking about, uh, let's see here, sheep or ox? No, that's not the point, right? Not just if it's a... We see a little lamb coming across, and we know it's our brother's, or it's an ox, but uh, we help him out. But if it's a goat, then we don't help out. Or if it's anything else, we don't help out. No, 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 that, we're losing the point here, right? So it's not just if it's that type of livestock. No, the point is that you make every effort to return your brother's animals to him, no matter what type it is, if you see them running around loose. But what if, what if the owner of this animal lives too far? You know, I, I don't want to travel across, you know, three towns to take it back to him. Well, if he lives too far, then you bring it into your own home. You still go and get it. 
You bring it into your home, take care of it, tend to it, and when your brother comes looking for it, then you make sure to give it back to him. You don't keep it. It's not finders, keepers, losers, weepers. And if your brother needs your help, for example, his donkey or oxen has fallen down, you just simply help him. Now, these are very simple lessons. These are, by the way, interestingly enough, commandments. These are things that had to be told to the Israelites to do as they are preparing to go into the promised land. These are basic playground rules, aren't they? They are. And yet, it does us good to hear them even today, to be reminded of the basic things that God has commanded His people to do. There are too many people that are in it for themselves. And you, and you hear it. It's, do, it's a dog-eat-dog dog kind of a world, you know. You got to, you know, do what you need to do to get by and advance and make it to the, to the next level. Um, I, I remember very distinctly um, experiencing all of that. Um, you know, being in competition with other people uh, for position. And there were times when I gained a position that someone else thought that they should have had, and it was a dog-eat-dog dog kind of a situation. Oh, man, all kinds of stuff that uh, became problems in those situations. But for us as God's people, God is commanding them as He uh, is us today that Listen, you need to practice these things. If you see someone in need, you are to help them out. If they lose something and you find it and you don't, can't find them, yeah, just keep them until they come around. And, you know, maybe it's at the office. You find a $5 bill that belongs to Jim, you know. Well, Jim's not around, so I guess uh, I'll have a good lunch. No, no, keep it and give it back to him tomorrow, okay? He's going to come back. It's just doing that which is right. It's integrity. Don't ignore the need. Don't hide from the need also. It's like, oh, I, I see that my, my brother's um, animal has fallen into the ditch and he's having trouble getting it out and, and I really don't want to help him. I'm going to hide behind this tree for a while and see if maybe he gets it out. God doesn't make that kind of um, provision for us. He doesn't allow us to do something like that. If we see a need, we're supposed to go and take care of it and help our brother out. James 4.17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That, that's got to be very conv convicting because... We're looking at something here that is very clearly, this is the world's goods. It, it's uh, the things, the material things, something that would help someone else out. And you deny that person that's in need of that one thing that you can provide. The Lord is telling us through the Apostle John that how is it that God's love is abiding, it is being expressed through him? It, it's not. It's not. 
James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So it's very clear, right? That we are to help each other out. So these are brothers, but we also need to remember what it says in Exodus chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. Because in those two verses, if you're jotting down some notes, jot that down. Because in those two verses, it includes our enemies. Well, so-and-so is not nice to me, and so I'm not going to help that person out. Well, actually, if they're in need, you are to also help them out. Not just your, your brothers, but also your enemies. And it does say specifically, enemies. And so this is just something that should be common practice for the child of God. Um, We are to have compassionate hearts, regardless of who we have before us. If they are in need, we are to help them out. Now, verse 5, as we continue, we completely shift gears and we go into a different direction. As it says, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. No cross-dressing. No cross-dressing. The point is to keep the sexes distinguishable. Distinct. Not androgynous. Not boy, girl, I, I don't know what he, she is. This is a very clear commandment. Very clear commandment. Uh, There's no way we can mistake this for something else or blur the lines. Now, this does not mean that women cannot wear pants and men cannot wear kilts. It, It doesn't mean that. But it is a command that addresses the inclination for people to deliberately blur the lines of the sexes. Today it is very obvious that some clothing is for women and other clothing is for men. But there is some clothing that is supposed to be for one or the other, but is accepted as interchangeable or is given no gender assignment whatsoever. Now, of course, we both wear socks, right? Shoes, but different types of shoes, right? Cross-dressing, trans, gender-bender, these are all common terms today that our culture has determined to be normal and acceptable. But what does the Lord have to say about this? This is really where we need to come down, come to as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. I know in school, uh, they have, gen- a gen- some schools, a gender-bender day. Basically, cross-dress. Prayed around as a trans and decide today whether you want to, you know, parade around as the opposite sex. This is bringing confusion upon our children. And, and it's having them grow up in that manner. And there's confusion. There's depression that overcomes. There's all kinds of problems that come about because of that. But what I'm interested in as a follower of Jesus Christ as a child of God, is what, what does the Lord say about all of this? What does God say? What does God say 
for his people. We know what the world does, right? It's very clear. But, but what are we to do? How are we to behave? How are we to live our lives in light of all of that? Really, the bottom line, and I'll start out with this. What does the Lord have to say about all this? Well, let's look at that verse again. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Is an abomination. The world may do these things and accept of them, but this is not acceptable for those who are children of God. Don't be surprised or shocked when you see the world doing this, but do not be deceived into thinking that it's okay among God's people. It's not okay. He doesn't make an exception to it. Not in Old Testament times, and not today in New Testament times. Jot down Romans chapter 1 and take a look there. We won't turn there this evening, but, but read through it yourself. So what are we to do today? If, if we come across a scripture like this, I say, well, that's outdated. No, it, it, it's not outdated. God's word is timeless. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, if, if, we, if we say that in the New Testament, we have to... Like, look back. He, he's, is he truly the same yesterday, today, and forever? That means this, that this has always been an abomination to the Lord and continues to be an abomination to the Lord. So what are we to do? When we come across Scripture that causes us deep conviction, we confess, we repent, and we turn from those things if we truly love the Lord, our God. We can name all kinds of other things that we need to confess, repent, and turn from. Not just this, but this very thing we come across. It's not something that we can justify. We repent. We turn to the Lord in humility. Why? Because He made us male and female to be male and female. Why? Because we mar and pervert the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female, he created them. And so we take that, we take what we have here, we understand there's a, there should be a distinction, should always be a distinction. Um, what we wear shouldn't be a deliberate attempt at blurring the lines of our genders. It just shouldn't be. Men wear men's clothing. Women, you're free to wear women's clothing. But don't deliberately blur the lines. God does not allow for that because we mar the image in which we are created. Compassion for the little things. Let's continue. Verse 6. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go, but the young you may take for yourself, that it may go well with you and that you may live long. Compassion in the little things. Again, it's another interesting little thing to where we started out with one thing, and I, I find this interesting also. It's like God had to command this? You know what I mean? It's like it's a mother sitting on her eggs or with little young ones, and, and God had to tell his people, listen, respect that. Honor it. If you are really hungry and in desperate need of, of some sustenance, 
okay, eat the eggs, the little ones, but the mother, leave her alone that she may reproduce and, and we would have more. But leave them alone. Respect that. Is it really necessary? The answer, of course, is yes, because it's here. Simply put, number one, com- have compassion for anim- animals. And compassion for animals should translate into compassion for people. And I say should. Because I have found in our day and age that I unfortunately see a lot of animals being treated better than a lot of people. Very much so, and that shouldn't be. Animals, you know, I love animals. You guys, if you guys know me, you know I love animals. I have a deep respect for animals. Um, I like to take care of animals, uh, but they will never, you know, I... Sometimes, you know, well, they're just like people. No, they're not. <laughs> I love my dogs, but they're not. Right? They, they serve us. And you know what? The other day I was thanking God. Um, I was looking at Riley and Winter, our two dogs, and I was thinking, how amazing, God. How amazing that you created these little cre- critters, you know, to really bring, um, like, pleasure to, to us in the home. And, like, we enjoy them. But at the same time, you know, they, I acknowledge and I was saying, of course they're not like my family. They're just not. It breaks my heart when something happens to them, but they're just not. And too many people treat them like people or better than people. And really what we're seeing here is that God is saying, hey, listen, have compassion for these animals. And, and again, that should, that should come across and translate into compassion for people as well. Because if you can respect them... These little guys, you, you better <laughs> respect and have honor and, and have compassion for other people. But faithful in the little things should translate into faithful in the big things. You know, it doesn't matter. God commanded this. And if we respect it, no matter what, it's called spiritual integrity. Because a personal commitment to faithfulness to God in all things will be demonstrated in the smallest of things. In the smallest of things. But God never sees any of His commandments that are obeyed as something small. Never. He even promised a blessing for those who observe this command, that it may go well with you and that you may live long. Take care of what I've told you. The whole point is not necessarily this mother with her hatchlings. It's really not about that. It's about, are you fully committed to obeying me even in the small things? Are you faithful to me even in these little things that I'm putting out here? Because if you are faithful in those little things, then it will go well with you. And I will bless your life. Again, I see this as being a law that can be overlooked, but God used it as a test as to whether His people regarded Him in all things. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. For all of it. Right? So faithful in the little things. Commit to being faithful to God in all areas of your life. And then verse 8. We see safety. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof 
that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. Um, So God's building code. For the sake of the people's safety, God commanded that a wall be built along the edge of the roof of a new house in order to protect the people from falling off of it. Uh, Again, this is God keeping His people accountable to do those things that are right. Protecting others is something that we as God's people should be in the practice of doing. We anticipate things, right? Uh, that's, uh, that's a danger. We need to take care of it. We need to, um, you know, safeguard certain areas, certain things that others would not be harmed by our negligence. If we ignore and we are found negligent in what we know we should have done, and that negligence causes someone to get hurt, then it is, at that point this guilt of blood upon their house. Uh, They're guilty. I mean, they they should have done this. They didn't do it. They neglected to do it. They ignored it. They looked the other way. And therefore, it did cause harm. Well, that blood is on your hands. You should have done that. So do not neglect to make something safe that you know is dangerous and there is a chance someone can get hurt. Anticipate and safeguard. Don't be lazy and don't ignore it. Now, I can't help but think about how it is that the Lord does this with us spiritually. He does it throughout the Word of God. He's doing it even this evening as we have gone just through a few commandments here. How it is that He's doing this very thing with His people. He's setting up these these, uh, guardrails. He's setting up these rails. He's setting up these safeguards for us to abide in. Not to... Um, not to stifle us, not to just enclose us, but so that we would be kept safe and we ourselves would not fall to our own destruction. There are some people, though, and we need to understand this, who mock the railings and play on them. They, 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 they walk on them, they mock them. Um, I can walk this and not be harmed. And I pray that that would never be us. I could, I could walk this and, look, I'm, I'm unharmed. I can walk on the edge. At some point, there's a reason why God said that these safeguards should be put there, these rails, these uh, parapets should, should be there. It, it's to ensure that we, we don't go over. At some point, those people that are walking, those safeguards will fall. And I pray that we would not be one of those people. Um, if you are walking that line, if you are there, and you think that you will never experience a fall, oh, just know that a fall is coming in one way or another, and we should just come up, come down off of there, and abide in that which God has ordained for us to abide in according to His Word, and we are safe in Him. So, we also, as we continue, are called to be separate from the world. Verse 9 says, You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest a whole yield be forfeited, the crop that you have sown, and the yield of the vineyard. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. In verse 12, you shall make yourself tassels on the four corners of the garment with which you cover yourself. 
Basically, what we see here is be separate from the world and unto the Lord. And because, I mean, it, as we read those, do those make sense for today? They don't, right? They, they absolutely don't. So they really don't make sense unless you know what these meant in the day in which the laws were written. It was common practice for the pagans to do these things. Uh, so even just with that alone, we begin to get the picture. Oh, okay, okay. so it was common practice for the, for the pagans to do these very things. The mixing of seeds sown, animals plowing, uh, different animals, types of animals plowing together, and types of material used in garments. And many times the reasons they did these things were to observe occultic practices. These customs, part of the pagan customs. And God did not want His people to mimic the world. And their customs in their false worship of false gods. But to remain separate from those things and true to God and the things that pertain to Him. So, that's why as we take a look at these laws, and as, I, as I've, we've gone through the Old Testament, we've gone, come up to De- Deuteronomy chapter 22, I hear so many times, it, it's God's Word is outdated. It just, does it apply to, to today? I'm talking about the Old Testament, but even we can take a look at the New Testament. But is that statement correct? And as we've answered previously, we answer again, the answer is, no, it's not outdated. It's not. It amazes me how many people say that God's Word is outdated. Let's see this with bigger eyes. Can we? In other words, let's see this through God's eyes. Because really, that's what's important. There is a principle that goes far beyond the day in which this law was given, and this principle applies to every epoch, every portion of history, every moment of a person's life. This principle is applicable. Paul writes, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Enmity. It means you are opposed. You are hostile toward. Does that sound like something that we can take lightly or ignore altogether? Not at all. If you insist on mixing with the world in its appeasement, going right along with them, then God says you have just made yourself an enemy of God. And that's, I'm sure, not what you want to do, right? That's definitely not what I want to do. I, I do not want to be an enemy of God. He can discipline me. You know, just, just give me your word, Lord, and please give me the strength to abide by it. But I do not want to become an enemy of God. That, that means mixing with the world, um, mimicking those things that the world does. You know, as God's people, we need to read the Old Testament and the New Testament. We need to understand God's character and the principles that He has in His Word from start to finish, apply to us today. I'm not talking about mixing the types of garments or, you know, sewing 
different types of seeds in, in, in some field somewhere, um, not, or, or plowing with two different types of animals. Uh, again, that, that's not the point. We, we lose the point when we start focusing on that and we say, well, you know, that, that's just not true today. It just doesn't apply to today. No, it's true today. It's just we need to see how to apply it. And it does apply today. We need to gain wisdom to see this for what it is. It does apply to us today in the manner in which we just saw in the New Testament. As we went through 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, James 4.4. 4. How is it that we can today mix with the world and thumb our noses at God? Think about that. How, how is it that we can do that today? And then as we go into verse 12, which addresses tassels. This was not only a... a dis- so the first three was, hey, listen, don't do these things because this is what the world does. This, these were common pagan practices. But this fourth one in verse 12, this is to mark you as separate unto the Lord. These tassels weren't just a distinguishing mark of the child of God or an, the Israelite but also serve to remind them to abide, to keep the the Lord's law, the law of God. That's what it reminded them of every time they saw this. In a good way, I believe that we as God's people in fellowship serve as these tassels to each other today. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We serve to be a source of accountability, uh, reminders. Um, Even, you know, in that accountability, there's conviction as we become transparent with one another and allow each other to to keep us accountable. You know, uh, there's there's, uh, this place that we can come and be built up in the Lord and grow and be strengthened. And so just as they use these tassels, we today can definitely benefit and be blessed and encouraged by one another. So let us allow each other to serve each other as reminders to be obedient to God's Word, allowing accountability for the safety and growth of the person as well as the overall body of Christ to the glory of our Father in heaven. Now, we know also that the religious leaders of Jesus' time, um, they, they took these to a whole different level as far as these tassels are concerned. What they did was they made themselves look very religious and they, would, they were oversized, right? They were. And it's like, let's make them look very beautiful. And, and they, they embellished upon the very thing that God had told them was simply to serve as a reminder and an encouragement to abide in the law of God. Uh, that's a religious, but that's why I'm saying is that we don't need anything external. We, we don't need something visual. What we need is something personal and interpersonal, something that we could come together and be encouraged by, and that's one another. And that's why we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves. We should, just, we should fellowship all the more as we do see the day of the Lord approaching. We see the times in which we live in, and we, we should reach up And as we reach up, we should also reach out to one another. Now, let's continue on. Verse 13. 
If any man takes a wife and goes into her and then hates her and accuses her of misconduct and brings a bad name upon her, saying, I took this woman and when I came near her, I did not find in her evidence of virginity, then the father of the young woman and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of her virginity to the elders of the city in the gate. And the father of the young woman shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man to marry, and he hates her. And behold, he has accused her of misconduct, saying, I did not find in your daughter evidence of virginity, and yet this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the cloak before the elders of the city. Then the elders of that city shall take the man and whip him, and they shall find him a hundred shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman, because he has brought a bad name upon a virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife. He may not divorce her all his days. But if the thing is true, that evidence of virginity was not found in the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones, because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel by whoring in her father's house. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. We have fornication and false accusation. Uh, the remainder, by the way, of this chapter has to do with sexual immorality. And we begin with a situation that is described as a man who hates his new wife and accuses her of deceiving him and lying to him that she was a virgin. She brought shame uh, upon her, her family, her home, her father. And the Lord says that this is an outrageous thing. And she is considered to be whoring in her, her father's house. Now, this is more than a shameful accusation. Because if found to be guilty, the woman would be put to death. It wasn't just, you know, something like, okay, let's get divorced. It wasn't like that. If this was indeed true at that, at that time, then she would face being stoned to death. It is explicitly stated that this is found out at the time of intimate relations between the newly married couple. The evidence of virginity that the accusing husband is addressing is the evidence of blood. The breaking of the hymen and sexual intercourse is what we're referring to here. There was a cloth that was collected on the wedding night and kept by her parents. And if the accusation was made against their daughter that she was not a virgin, then they would present this cloth to the judging elders as proof that she was. If this was presented and the husband was proven to be guilty of making a false accusation, then he was whipped, fined a hundred shekels of silver, and the, the, those hundred shekels of, of silver were given to the father of the accused woman, and he was to remain married to her and was not allowed to divorce her for all the days of his life. But if she was guilty, then as I have already said, she would be stoned to death at the door of her father's house by the men of her own city. And all of this to say that virginity was highly valued and is highly valued by God today. And the question for us is, as we take a look at this, now this, of course, is the governance of God's people. This was very important for them to follow through with as they go into the promised land, that it may go well with them. But the question is, is because what we see here is, is a value of the purity of a woman. 
It was valued then by God and is valued today by God. And for we, the question for us is, do we value purity as he does? I've heard it said, as I'm sure you have. You don't buy a car without first taking it for a test drive. So, why would you do that with marriage? Have you ever heard that before? You all have, right? Okay. We've lowered the value of marriage to equating it to the purchase of a car? Seriously. A car is here one moment and gone the next. I mean, a car actually becomes just transportation after about a month of having it. And then you're bummed because you get the bill. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, the world agrees that we've lowered the value of marriage to equating it to the purchase of a car. Women sell themselves so short. So, so short. And give away their virginity at literally sometimes the blink of an eye. But that doesn't antiquate God's view of maintaining purity and only giving oneself to their spouse. Sisters, I want to tell you this. Know your worth in the eyes of God and never mark yourselves down and settle for anything less. The right God-fearing man will know your worth before the eyes of the Lord and treat you as the value by which God sees you. Do not lower yourself. Do not settle for anything less. Allow the Lord to really claim your value in Him. Because this is what we have here, is, is the, the value of purity in a woman, in a relationship. We're going to continue on because this is, this is the rest of the chapter is all about sexual immorality. The next verse, in verse 22, it speaks of adultery. It says, If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall purge the evil from Israel. So, con adultery, uh, the man that took the wife of another man, both of them together, if found they were both to be put to death. Judgment is not different for the sexes. Just because perhaps our culture treats it differently doesn't mean that God sees it differently. Remember that there must be two or three witnesses in order that an accusation be accepted against someone else, though. This is, this is part of it, too. This may be the reason why the death penalty for this sin as, as you do study, as you go through, as you take a look at, at history, how it is, why it is that this penalty was rarely carried out. But also think about when the adulterous woman was supposedly caught in the act of adultery. Remember when she was brought before Jesus? I believe it was John chapter 8. Um, was brought out. She was accused of adultery. Um, he kind of stooped down and started writing things in the dirt. Curious. Where was, the, where was the man? Where was he? Supposed to be both of them. According to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22. If you got both of them, then both of them need to be brought 
So we know that they were trying to entrap Jesus at all kinds of, in all kinds of situations, and so I, I don't think that was any different. To deal with this issue, and for them to be found guilty, um, the consequences were capital punishment. And as the Lord said, it was to purge the evil from Israel and hopefully to deter others from doing the very same thing. Now, as we take a look at the previous and we take a look at this, again, we need to put the question out there, what if, this were to, what if we were to practice this today? I, I think marriage and the seriousness of purity and all, all of this would, would, be, uh, would look totally different, completely different. All right, so verses 23 and 24, I entitled Consenting Adults, and I'll tell you exactly why in a few moments. So verse 23 says, If there is a betrothed virgin, and the man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones, the young woman, because she did not cry, cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. The reason why I said consent, consenting adults is because if you look back at verse 23, it says, if there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city. Not, not seizes her, but meets her in the city. Um, the city is not what we think of today. You know, we somewhat live separate from each other, <laughs> sometimes pretty close it, Sometimes it looks like, you know, there was just house seeds thrown down and they all sprouted up really close to each other. But, but in that day, the, the houses were very close together and a woman could easily scream and cry for help and be heard by someone. And so what was said here is that she neglected to do that. She didn't cry out. She didn't cry in distress, being truly raped. But she was engaged and failed to cry out for help. Then both her and the man who violated her, she was considered as good as married to the man that she was engaged to, were put to death at the gate of the city. It was a very public event. Because this was a disgrace committed by both the man and the woman. And it was against also the man who was engaged to the woman. Again, this is all considering... Uh, considered uh, being acts of purging the evil from the midst of God's people. Now, then we go to something a little different in verse 25. It says, But if in, in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed, that is engaged, and the man seizes her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense punishable by death, for this case is like that of a man attacking and murdering his neighbor. Because he met her in the open country. And though the betrothed young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. So, in this case, um, this is basically being treated as just purely rape. It is assumed in this case that the woman cried out, but there was no one to hear and help her. The man who was guilty of raping this engaged woman was to be put to death, and she was deemed innocent. Uh, and, and the victim basically of rape. And so he was the one that was to be put to death. And it's treated, as it says here, 
it's to be treated just like another case of a man attacking and murdering his neighbor. And we, think we can think of ways in, in which that is, in fact, what has taken place. Uh, he has taken her, her innocence, her virginity, when that belonged to another man. And then verse 28 and 29 says, If a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed, so not engaged, and seizes her and lies with her, and they are found, then the man who lay with her shall give to the father of the young woman fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he has violated her. He may not divorce her all his days. So, with this... You know, the, the man goes and um, sees this woman, and, and he, he seizes her. When, when you see someone, you, you take them against basically their will. And, and this, is, this is rape. And the woman is not engaged to a man. And this takes place, and, and it has become known. Well, the man, if found guilty, pays... 50 shekels as a fine, and that is beside the dowry to her father, and then he has to marry her and cannot divorce her for the rest of his life. Now, I know it doesn't say this here, but I, I would think there would have to be some kind of acceptance on the side, on her side. You know what I mean? But it doesn't say, it just says that if, if she does... If they come together, they are to marry. He cannot divorce her for the rest of his life. And he pays a 50 shekel fine and uh, shekels of silver. And, uh, and that's to her father. And then he marries her. Again, he cannot divorce her for the rest of his life. Again, this speaks of the high value that God puts on the sanctity of marriage. We're talking about engaged uh, relationships, um, you know, th this speaks of the high value that God puts on the sanctity of marriage and how sexual intimacy is to be enjoyed only within the context of marriage and not in any way, shape, or form outside of it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And so we see it in the New Testament, specifically in that verse, how it is that, hey, listen, sexual in intimacy is to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife in the context of marriage and, and nowhere outside of it, with no one else, and under any circumstances whatsoever. And then verse 30, finally, says, A man shall not take his father's wife, so that he does not uncover his father's nakedness. Now, this is presumably after his father had died, and uh, then uh, the son takes his stepmother or his mother to be uh, his wife or, or has um, relations with her. But even if it is the man's stepmother, this was not to take place. It's deemed incest, and it's considered shameful, and it's considered dishonoring the father. And this, by the way, is what the Apostle Paul addressed uh, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And he said that this is not something, this is shameful. This is not something that, that ought to be tolerated, and yet you do. Um, 
You know, to allow this to happen within the church was not proper tolerance. It was shameful and and should, should not be allowed. It should be addressed. It should be pointed out. And and there should be repentance. Now, all of this, again, was in preparation for the Israelites to go into the Promised Land. And as we came across that one commandment, that in a new home, you were to, on the roof of the home, to set up these parapets or these railings. All of these commandments were to serve in the construction of the railings to protect the Israelites from unnecessarily falling to their own destruction and demise. I see the Word of God as being that very thing for you and I. God in our lives is, is building these parapets, these railings around us, so that we wouldn't, we wouldn't unnecessarily fall off and fall to our own destruction and to our own de- de- demise. He, he's loving us enough to tell us the truth. And help us to stay on the straight and narrow. On the path that He has set before us. God gives us His Word to make us aware of His character and to serve as a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And that when we hide His Word in our hearts, it will serve us to help us to not sin against Him. The very source that does that in our lives. And so he sets these things up for her in his perfect wisdom. And he's absolutely amazing. And he's worthy of our worship. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this evening. I pray that you would continue to to teach us, to help us to see the things that you have for us to understand and would serve us, Lord, to protect us, to guide us, to, Lord... uh, just build a sure foundation under us that we can walk on with confidence. Lord, knowing that we are humbly submitting to your authority in our lives. That you would be blessed and honored, glorified, Lord, and and that your people, Lord, would continue to, to be a blessing, not only to you, but to others around us. Because I know that as we abide in your word, that it serves not only your people personally, but also is a blessing to all the nations of the world. And so, Lord, strengthen your people, pour your spirit out upon us, and help us, Lord, to walk in your spirit, that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.